Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month they deliver them to your front door. And by Ellen Gross, Chantel Oliver, Mandy Booty, Jamie Lang, and Alana Richardson. Thank you for being our sponsors. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. Let me start with a story. All right. Scutari Barracks, Istanbul, 1854. Mm. Deep in the horrors of the Crimean War. Ooh. All the major global empires, they're fighting for control over Crimea, a major trade port plopped in the center of the Black Sea. It's brutal stuff. But the most nightmarish scenes of all were in Scutari Barracks, because this is where the British soldiers go to die. Oof. And not from wounds, from disease. Infectious diseases like dysentery, typhus, cholera. Mm. Hundreds of thousands died in filthy conditions. Ugh. There was one beacon of light. In the horror, a small, <laughs> slight figure in a black dress and a little bonnet. What is a woman doing here in this place? <laughs> She'd come from England on her own dime to care for the sick and improve sanitation. She was pioneering the field of nursing. Oh. Working night and day. She was known as the Lady with the Lamp. Ah, <laughs> because she would walk the halls late at night with a lamp in her hand to check on the despairing soldiers. But our scene plays out in broad daylight <laughs> as this nurse shuffled through the courtyard in the center of the barracks. And there's like people and hubbub all around. And a stallion suddenly blocked her way. You there, said the writer. What are you thinking? Out in this sun without proper protection. How can you nurse men when you clearly do not know even the first thing about health? <laughs> She'd never met this writer, but based on his arrogance and his very strange appearance, she knew him by reputation. James Barry was inspector of hospitals for the British Empire, and stories abounded about his tiny red-headed form and his whiny voice and his violent temper. Hmm. Who let a woman in here anyway, he said. <laughs> but then somebody spoke from the shadows. This is Florence Nightingale, sir. <laughs> Nightingale, he says. He sat back on his horse and he rested his hand on the hilt of his sword. He loved his sword. <laughs> Can you possibly imagine, miss, why I have had to come here all the way from Corfu? It is, my dear, because all the soldiers you are sending me from here to my hospital in Corfu arrive in a most wretched state, riddled with lice, in tattered rags, in a state of filth, 
If you expect to prove, he says, that the presence of women in hospitals is worth the trouble in the least, I suggest you take up the bucket and broom and clean this filthy place rather than hand out hymns and prayers. <laughs> then storms off. <laughs> wow. Later in life, Florence Nightingale would recall that despite all she put up with because she was a woman in a man's profession, medicine, <laughs> that that berating from James Berry was the worst of all. <laughs> oh. And she said, he behaved like a brute. He was the most hardened creature I ever met. Oh. <laughs> but as interesting as Florence Nightingale is, <laughs> it's not her that we're talking about today. Ah. Okay, good, because she's too famous. <laughs> Instead, fast forward 20 years to some sweltering rooms in London where James Barry lay dying. Like all those soldiers at Scutari Barracks, he's dying of dysentery. Mm. He wouldn't let anybody attend him, and he wasted away all alone. Mm. But when the charwoman came to clean his body, she discovered that Dr. James Barry was, in fact, a woman. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Plot twist. <laughs> wow. And now we get to hear his story. A wild story of ambition and heartbreak and dreams turned to reality, war, childbirth, <sighs> duels, and death. Today, we're talking about the life of Margaret Ann Bulkley, <laughs> known to the world as Dr. James Barry. Wow. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. On a visit to London, I came across a reference to the old operating theater museum, which housed an old apothecary garret, like a medieval herb garret, Ooh. in the attic of an old church. And... Europe's oldest operating theater. Like, can Ooh. you picture an operating theater? Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yep. Oh, I know very well. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, from all your murder mysteries? That, yes. <laughs> you read and watch? <laughs> and you know me. I love quirky museums. Yeah. So I had to check it out. And it's amazing. You enter it by going up a steep spiral staircase, like up the tower, like the bell tower of an old oh. church. And then at the top, it spits you out into this little space. And that's the museum. Wow. It's so cool. And there I met Dr. Monica Walker, who introduced me to the story of Dr. James Berry. My name is Monica Walker. I have a PhD in art history. I actually teach at the University of Oxford uh, for the Department of Continuing Education. I am also the marketing events and retail manager at the All Operating Theatre Museum and Herb Garrett. So have multiple roles, multiple hats. I kind of like to consider myself either a jack of all trades or the new Renaissance woman. <laughs> <laughs> and we recorded the interview inside that medieval herb garret. And it's oh, cool. an incredible place. It's got, you know, big slanted beams and herby smells, antique bottles and medical tools. It feels straight out of Harry Potter. Oh, cool. And um, there were visitors shuffling around everywhere. <laughs> and actually, a lot of people stopped to listen because this story, you can't just walk away halfway yeah. through. Like, <laughs> once, you, once you hear even one bit of it, you are hooked. From start to finish, Margaret 
James Berry is larger than life. The story is bonkers. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Cork, Ireland, 1789. So apparently we know that she was born in 1789. Unfortunately, a lot of the official records um, that we have, she actually lied about the date that she was born. Cork was a major global port city, and little Margaret Bulkley must have spent plenty of time standing at the port, like watching the ships come and go, and they're coming from all over the world. Life for her was hard. Her father was an alcoholic, constantly in financial trouble. And that was not the worst of it that she had to go through and then he made really bad economic decisions and brought the whole family into poverty at the worst possible time. And he decided to invest everything they had into the education of their eldest son. She had a brother who was not as smart as she was and um, they kept trying to, you know, pay for his education. This eldest son, he was gonna go off and get rich and, and make hmm. the family successful. So even though they knew that Margaret was smart, everything went to her brother, right. her oldest brother. Of course. But that son was cut from the same cloth as his father, mm. always chasing get-rich-quick schemes, mm. unable to focus at school, drinking. He wasted it all. Mm. So I imagine Margaret standing at the docks on the western coast of Ireland, watching with envy those sailors who could sail far, far away, mm. run from their problems, pursue adventure, make their own way in the world. Mm. She wanted that life, not this one. Not only that, I mean, we have uh, a letter in which she basically complained to her brother that, you know, if I had not been a woman, I'll make a wonderful soldier. Then one day, she'd had enough. Margaret and her mother packed their bags and they sailed to London. <laughs> Good. They were done <laughs> with the men in their lives, controlling their fates, and they were done with the drunkenness. They were done with it all. So, Margaret's mother had a brother in London, a famous painter named James Barry. He was quite famous. Um, he was considered to be one of the last neoclassicists slash new romantic painters of the period. Had a reputation of his own in London. Um, he just taught at the Royal College of Arts. Wait, I've heard of him. Oh, yeah. I love him. Oh, cool. So at this point, he's sort of among the last of the blue stockings. The sort yeah. of children of the revolution, so to speak. Intellectuals, fierce believers in equality, even women's equality, they believe. Right. Um, but at this point, he's old and frail, and he's actually going mad. Hmm. But he's all they had. And uh, shortly after they got there, he died. Hmm. It's easy to imagine just the number of times Margaret would have raged against the sexist world that she lived in. <laughs> yeah. At this period in time, like the early 1800s, women couldn't even walk around outside without a chaperone. Mm. It was a spectacularly gendered world. And she was smart. She was brave. 
She was resilient, capable, but she was a girl. Mm. The situation for women is not the best. Uh, women are not allowed to um, go to university. They're not allowed to um, to learn a profession in the way that men were able to. They were not allowed to be in the army. That was not going to be easy for her in any possible way. But though her uncle was dead, his old circle of friends, they were sympathetic. Right. And they were these radical thinkers, yeah. revolutionaries. <laughs> and among them are some very, very famous figures. It had to be some sort of conspiracy between all of them. I mean, not in a bad way. It's yeah. in, a, in a good way because they knew that um, she was smart enough. Amongst the, the friends of um, James Barry was uh, Margaret Ann's tutor and the family solicitor. General uh, Francisco Miranda, a uh, Venezuelan uh, revolutionary. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he had a, a, tra a tragic death later on, yes. you know, as a revolutionary. But he was in on the conspiracy. Apparently they were all involved in um, making this happen. To, to let Margaret and Buckley disappear and have these new James Miranda Barry come into life. Wow. So Margaret, it was, wait, so it's their idea? Yes. Not her. It's ah. like this great aging revolutionary thinkers wow. who see this young woman who has not a chance in the world. And they go, you know what would be crazy? But maybe we could do it. Yeah. <laughs> so when she was about 18, Margaret M. Bulkley disappeared. James became a man. He very much acted like a man, make sure that his clothing inside the house and outside the house, always connected with a man. James Barry, her long-lost ah. cousin, <laughs> nephew of the famed painter James Barry, <gasps> wow. enrolled at Edinburgh University's medical school <gasps> and brought along with him his auntie, his auntie Marianne Buckley. <laughs> Wow. She's got some major disadvantages, obviously. <laughs> One, she didn't have an education to speak of <laughs> to begin yeah, with. Right. Since the family had pinned all their hopes on the older brother. So she had yeah. some serious catching up to do. But James Barry, the painter, his old friends, they rallied around her and they taught her everything they knew, including General Miranda. He, like, let her use his library. Like, they are wow. cramming all knowledge into her brain. And the final exam that she's headed for with medical school is an oral examination that is administered entirely in Latin. <laughs> so she's going to learn Latin on the side. Wow. <laughs> Two, her other huge problem is she does not look convincingly like a man whatsoever. Mm. He was short, effeminate, and he didn't have a beard. So, I mean, she had men's clothing, obviously, but they didn't even really fit her because back then, to get clothing, you have to go to a tailor. Right. And, and it's not possible. To a tailor. Yeah. So she's got her uncle's friend's hand-me-downs, which her mother is like stitching up to vaguely fit her. Mm. And she certainly lacked the confidence. I mean, everybody was suspicious of her. Right. Imagine she was so nervous all the time. Yeah. But it was not within their mental universe to imagine she was a woman. Huh. Just not possible. A woman's not smart enough right. to go to medical school. So that appears not to have occurred to them huh. whatsoever. So everybody thought that he was uh, prepubescent. 
they thought she'd lied about her age and she was a boy. Oh, okay. So she rolled with that. She's like, okay, you got me. I'm a 14-year-old boy. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Her fate doesn't just hang in the balance here, but also her mother. You know, this is their one chance. And they're actually going massively in debt to pay (laughs) for these studies. So it all hangs on the moment of that final exam, an oral examination conducted entirely in Latin. And at Edinburgh University, this is rigorous. This is famously so difficult. 1812, uh, James Miranda Barry became Medicinae Doctor, you know, um, in the time period. Um, So she passed all of her examinations. And even though she was still looking very short, very young, (laughs) very feminine, didn't matter. She still managed to um, to get that examination. Wow. And she's now regarded as a child prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> and she made a really interesting choice. I'm just absolutely fascinated about what, what happened what happened next because it has something to do directly with our space. You'd think if she's just desperate for money, she'd just go straight into private practice, start making money. But Mm. instead, she decided to go to surgical school in London. Mm. And um, she became a pupil, what we call pupil dressers, of um, none other than Sir Astley Cooper, who was one of our main physicians here in St. Thomas's. Wow. So, and apparently... Um, Sir Astley Cooper adored James Miranda Barry. He thought that he was the best mm. and he was one of his favorite pupils ever. Wow. And surgery is definitely not an easy profession. You had to do amputations <laughs> on, on people, mm. um, arms, legs, um, in some cases even tumors that they had to be extirpated. Mm. Um, so they need, to, they need to know not only how to use knives, but also have the strength required to go through the whole process yeah. you know if you think about taking that saw and sawing through someone's leg mm-hmm. you know the strength uh, that that requires it's not easy mm. absolutely not easy she could have not done that yeah. you know she must have been really motivated mm-hmm. to to want to not just become a, a medicine doctor but actually become a surgeon mm. um, and of course if you think about the fact that she was like rather short or like small and you know, effeminate, like they kept trying to call her that all the yeah. time. It must have been really difficult and really hard. And yeah. yet, and yet, she was successful in the whole endeavor because she was a fully qualified surgeon after she was done. Now, there's many different theories about what motivated her to do the things she did. And... I mean, obviously, we will never know. She never told anybody. She never right. left any records. But here the thinking is that, at least up to this point, she may have been thinking of her male form as temporary. She had to disguise herself for the sake of getting an education, and then she'd go back to being Margaret once she qualified. Mm. But after becoming a surgeon, she made a fascinating choice. She made the decision of enlisting in the army. Why? She could just have stayed in St. Thomas's or gone to another hospital and continue to work full-time as a surgeon. (laughs) Why would she do this? Wow. It's such a weird choice because there's way more money in private practice and it's way easier. 
what were her real motivations yeah. because we know that when she was younger she was she, she had this idea of you know being a better soldier than her own brother mm. <laughs> yeah. but the thing is that in the army you had to pass a physical examination mm. you know if you were a soldier but you don't have to if you are a surgeon. So was she just fulfilling her dream of becoming a soldier? Wow. You know, and then she decided that medicine was the way in? Yeah. I don't know, but I mean, why? Otherwise, you got chosen so many different paths. When she accepted her post, that's the moment at which she crossed the Rubicon. There's no going back from this. Right. Did she, yeah. did she know how long it was going to last? Did she really think it would work? Right. Of course, we can't not speculate right. <laughs> about her real motivation. Did she feel more at home as a man? Yeah. How did Margaret Bulkley identify? Right. Because today, personal identity is the crucial factor. Right. You know, what are your pronouns? Right. How do you identify? But with Margaret James Berry, 200 <laughs> years ago, we just can't know. There's yeah. nothing in the sources that will tell us either way. She has been taken over as a feminist icon, mm. but also a transgender icon. Yes. And the problem with that is that they seem to be mutually exclusive. There's been a lot of presentism um, in the study of James Meandabari to the point where people are just uh, projecting to the past their own political agendas. Yeah. And instead of actually understanding that when we're talking about people in the past, uh, we can claim to understand their subjective reality. You know, these are whole people that in many cases we will never be able to know how they really felt about things. Right now we cannot really sit down here and, um, and say with all certainty who James Meandabari was. Um, even deciding what the proper pronouns to yes. refer to him are difficult. And the truth of the matter is we cannot know. We don't know. So if feminists want to take her as, a, as an icon, Go for it. If transgender people want to take it as an icon, go for it. It can be for all of us. So, for our purposes, at this moment, it appears Margaret has made a long-term choice to become James. Yeah. And so she becomes he. Hmm. After military surgeon training in the nastiest pit of a hospital in London, James Barry got his wish. He reported to the docks and boarded a ship bound for the other side of the world. Hmm. He was now the sailor that he'd spent his entire childhood watching from the docks of Ireland. Oh yeah. But how long could he really pull this off? <laughs> yeah, this seems like choosing the most difficult possible exactly. environment to pull right. off this. And it makes us go, why? Yeah. Why did you choose that knowing it was basically impossible? Yeah. The journey would take months and in the close confines of a ship? Yeah. How are you possibly going to pull that off? I mean, this is a sailor's life. Everybody on board is a man. Yeah. There's these well-known hazing rituals that involve nudity and wow. shaving with tar. Like, how is he going to pull this off? <laughs> wow. So when that ship pulled away from the harbor and James Berry stood on the deck, bound for South Africa by way of South America, <laughs> what on earth was he thinking? Wow. 
Let's pause for a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. At Girls Can Crate, our mission is to inspire girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Every month, they deliver a fearless female role model to your door or to your inbox. Every crate features an inspiring woman and her own unique story of why she's awesome, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEAM activities and more. I love their new digital subscriptions, which come straight to your inbox. It comes with a colorful, printable activity book. If it's a craft, they'll give you templates and instructions, printable worksheets, puzzles, art activities, and more. In addition to the digital subscriptions, if you're on a budget, they have mini mailers and then the full crates, which come out every month. Check them out. They are really amazing. And for our listeners, if you go to girlscancrate, C-R-A-T-E dot com, and enter the code HERNAME, you'll get 20% off your first crate on any subscription. Check them out now at girlscancrate.com and make sure that you use the code HERNAME, all one word, so they know we sent you. He must have felt so incredibly alone and nervous. Mm. I mean, this was a true and real adventure in every possible way. (laughs) And maybe it was in those months of that long sea journey that he landed on his most effective strategy for stopping people getting too close. (laughs) He was very aggressive. Again, can you imagine trying to keep the secret of being a born woman for so long in the army? So you make up for it by being especially aggressive and angry. Exactly. At medical school, he was known as the bashful kid who never said anything and never made any friends. Hmm. But by the time he arrived at his port in Cape Town, South Africa, he was a fascinating personality. (laughs) Irascible. Confident. She was constantly trying to prove that she was a man, constantly trying to prove that she could do things. He was known as an eccentric. Ooh, everybody was fascinated. <laughs> wow. And what, I mean, that's the perfect cover because yes, no one is going to expect the foul-mouthed rager is a girl. Right, exactly. So, And that's another point of debate about James Barry is that his natural character. Is that the result of the like psychological pain of having to yeah. be somebody or not? Or is that a brilliant cover? Wow. To keep people at a distance. Yeah. <laughs> a Lord Charles Somerset was the British governor of South Africa. And this was quite a time to be the governor of British South Africa because mm. the British were in the process of claiming South Africa despite centuries of Dutch occupation. Mm. And both the British and the Dutch were blatantly ignoring and openly suppressing the claims of native peoples <laughs> to the land. Classic. Yeah, this is the era of Shaka Zulu. Yeah. But this Lord Somerset, he was worried about something much more personal when James Berry arrived in Cape Town. Lord Somerset's daughter was seriously ill, but Lord Somerset was deeply wary of the local doctors because just the previous year, they had totally botched their diagnosis of his beloved wife, Mm. and she had died. Mm. But James Barry 
wasn't like other doctors. Mm. So Lord Somerset gave him a chance. In his eccentric rage, <laughs> he saved her from the brink of death. They all absolutely loved him. And um, he became the personal physician to Lord Somerset and his entire household. Lord Somerset and his family were about to set on this three-month tour of the colony. And they invited this highly competent Dr. James Barry to accompany them. So they all packed up and they set off into the wilds of Africa. Wow. If James Barry's dream was adventure and seeing the world, then his wish was granted. Here. <laughs> this was unlike anything James Barry had ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it, we could make a whole episode just about this crazy adventure. Steep, mountainous ravines with these impossibly dangerous roads. Other carriages had known to just fall off into the abyss. Ugh. There's antelope, crocodile-like iguanas that were inhabiting woods. There's <sighs> deserts, there's rainforests, there's monkeys, jackals. One night, everyone in the camp was awoken by the screams of a young boy who was one of their drivers, and they discovered that a lion had snuck <gasps> into their camp and dragged him away. <laughs> it's so crazy. Oh. So they gave chase. They hunted down the lion, and they got the kid back, and Dr. Barry saw to his wounds. What? And he survived. What? <laughs> Whoa. It's so wild. Um, and at one point, they're camped at this remote resort, which is run by this eccentric British person known as George Rex, George King. King. <laughs> and rumor has it that he is the bastard son of King George. Ah. And he's this extreme eccentric who, as it turns out, we know quite a lot about George Rex. He is in no way related to King George. His entire <laughs> life was living a lie. Um, and he is the first one that we know of who found out about James Barry. Oh. And I guess he would be the one to find out because... Right. If you're living a lie, you know how to recognize. Yeah. You can spot it. Mm. He was on to him. He, he figured him out. And he kept his secret for his entire life. He never let anybody else know. Wow. So over the course of this epic journey, James Barry grew really close to Lord Charles. Did Lord Charles know mm. or didn't he? How could you be in such close quarters with someone for so long mm. and not know? But their relationship grew to a very close bond. Mm. Rumors followed James Barry everywhere. Oh. I mean, everyone commented on his feminine appearance mm -hmm. and he never, over the years, seemed able to adopt the right body language. And people mm. thought his voice was, like, comical. Mm. So he made up for all that with his signature temper. And he would right. just rage at people if they called him girly. Screaming at people, throwing medicine bottles, things like that. <laughs> and when people actually tried to accuse her of things, or in some cases call her feminine, she will um, challenge them to a duel. <laughs> she fought duels. 
She even challenged another doctor. He called her effeminate at one point, and she just like challenged him, like, "How dare you, sir?" <laughs> I can just imagine throwing the the gauntlet, you know, in the face. <laughs> I demand a duel. <laughs> she was a better shot. <laughs> Dr. Barry's aim was excellent. Hit him right in the forehead. <gasps> but his helmet deflected the bullet and he survived. Oh. He hit James Barry in the thigh, <laughs> which is a dangerous place to get hit with a bullet. Yeah. If you have things to disguise about right. your body. And so he wouldn't let anybody care for the wound. He <laughs> stowed himself up himself. Oh. He was um, not known for being nice. <laughs> but he was so, so good that his patients survived. He was credited with working many miracles, and so people let it all slide. He also performed the first C-section, where the mother and the child came out alive. Wow. This is His was the first successful attempt in the whole of the British Empire. And the mother was so grateful. She named the baby James Barry. And that, wow. that name actually got passed down through the family. And generations later, the governor of South Africa was James Barry, the descendant wow. of this baby that he saved. <laughs> wow. He quickly rocketed through the ranks, leapfrogging over everybody else until he was in charge of all medical facilities in South Africa. Wow. And he had always been intolerant of incompetent practitioners <laughs> and entitled men of medicine, hmm. who, though, especially <laughs> those who did more harm than good. Yeah. And now he could do something about it. He improved the conditions of um, the wounded soldiers and um, the native inhabitants. She also managed to uh, create a colony for the lepers. Um, there was nothing, no provisions for them whatsoever. So she tried to just uh, improve the, the lives and health of all of the people that came under her care, whether they were prisoners or they were wounded soldiers, they were the local inhabitants. She in introduced things like better food in, in hospitals, hygiene in hospitals. Um, even before Florence Nightingale, he was already doing this in the military hospitals that came under his care. Um, he was also an abolitionist. So he hated absolutely the fact that England had slaves. So, you know, he wanted to treat everybody in the exact same way. And this did not make her friends. Wow. On the contrary, got her many enemies because she was treating aristocracy and as slaves in equal terms all the time. Wow. Um, which says a lot about her, you know, and her character. As he's raging against the conditions everywhere, some people kept saying, you think this is bad, you should see the prison. Mm. So he went there too. And what he saw there was nightmarish, even for the times. Mm. So he's James Barry. He called out the fiscal. That's the man in charge of the police and prisons. And he began this long public battle between the two of them. Where <laughs> James Barry is basically just hurling shame and insult at the fiscal every chance he got. And anytime the fiscal went to the governor, who is Lord Charles Somerset, right. with a, his complaints against Dr. Barry, Lord Somerset rejected it every time. She just, mm. nope, let James Barry do his thing. This is where James Barry made a powerful enemy. And then, one day, signs appeared 
around town. Um, that somebody posted publicly that um, Laura Somerset may have had a thing with um, James Barry, that they were intimate, you know. It wasn't um, being described as if she were a woman, it was yeah. being described as if they were homosexuals. Which, of course, when you actually know that she's not yeah. <laughs> a man, yeah. you know, the whole thing is kind of like, hmm. James Barry reacted with panic and rage. But Lord Charles, who's used to being a political target, he was the voice of reason. He's like, ignore it. The rumors will die away. And in the meantime, let's see what can be done about this fiscal. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, Lord Somerset declared that after an assessment, it was determined that the supervision of prisons and police was too big of a job for one man, <laughs> and the fiscal was dismissed. His power and his position was divided up. Whoa. It looked like a victory. Looked like. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, it was a victory of sorts, but... On high, the rumors were spreading. Mm. It was determined that the supervision of all hospitals was also too big a job for one man. Mm. And James Barry was demoted, and his power and his position was divided up also. Mm. Discontent was growing, and the whole mess that was South Africa was snowballing. And so, the governorship of South Africa, that too was too big of a job for one uh, man. And Lord Charles Somerset was recalled to England. Uh, so there it was. The death of his career, a broken heart too, perhaps. Mm. The loss of a dear friend and protector, for sure. Yeah. What's the way forward now? I see a turning point here for James Barry. He got too close. He got too close to Charles Somerset. He got too close to being outed. Yeah. The stakes were too high, and his career and his heart paid a heavy price. Hmm. He stayed James Barry, and he stayed in the military, and he built walls around himself so that mm. no one could ever get in again. And he followed his career from post to post for many more years. His homes, he'd stay in one place for a few years at a time, like classic military career. Right. But his homes seemed to me like a perfect metaphor. She was also stationed in Mauritius. She also went to the West Indies. She was also stationed in Jamaica, you know. St. Helena, Antigua. Barbados, mm. Trinidad, Malta, Corfu. And this is a global career. If you plot these on a map, yeah. it's bonkers. But they're all isolated small islands. Yeah. Like the isolation of his inner self. I am a rock. But he wasn't really alone. She also traveled with a manager of pets. She loved dogs. She had a poodle named Psyche that she just took everywhere with her. 
Aww. His goat was maybe the most famous. <laughs> uh, it was his beloved pet, but it also provided him with his daily diet of goat's milk. And uh, uh, speaking of his diet, he became vegetarian. Mm. He ate only fruit, vegetables, and goat's milk. Wow. He also had a monkey, six <laughs> terriers, a parrot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he spent the rest of his life setting about improving the lives of poor people all over the British Empire. So she became Inspector General of all the hospitals of the empire. And that is the second highest position that any man can actually obtain in the army if you are in the medical profession. The, even under, even with his bad temper, even with all of the awful things that, that, that happened to him, uh, it's still, he managed to get so far ahead. Yeah. I mean, she just improved the lives of so many people. You know, and um, and it, it's just incredible. The sanitation and the water systems were improved. Um, he also ensured that uh, the conditions for slaves were also improved. The prisoners, also the mentally ill, he wanted to ensure that they had a space where they could be taken care of. She was very critical of the other people doing things wrong <laughs> and being very adversarial. But the thing is that apparently he was also extremely charming because he always managed to become friends with the right people. Mm. You know, he was quite, you know, respected and admired. And despite all of the different issues, he still managed to become the inspector general of hospitals. That's, that's so amazing. I, this is kind of like, he still managed to achieve the highest possible commendation that someone in the medical profession can obtain in the army of the British Empire. <laughs> But the thing about shutting everyone out is, you die alone. Mm. And James Barry had always been very clear. He always said, if I should fall ill or die, there should be no post-mortem examination. There mm. should be no cleaning of the body. He said, just wrap me up in the sheet that I died on and bury me. Mm. <laughs> but no one was left remembered those were his instructions mm. when the time actually came. Wow. And it's because of that that we can know his story. It, it makes you wonder how many other people did this? How many other people had their final wishes listened to? She did this. How many more people may have done the same thing and we don't know about? I mean, we know shocking numbers of women who became soldiers to go yeah. fight in wars with their husbands right. and that's just scratching the surface yeah I mean, and it's clear that james barry did not succeed in convincing people he was a man yeah one thing the testimony of the charwoman tells us that we don't get anywhere else not only was james barry a woman she said but because of the distinct stretch marks on her belly, mm. she almost certainly had given birth at some point in her life. Whoa! It's, yeah. <laughs> the charwoman. The charwoman was pressed on this during this um, statement she gave, and she said, "I've birthed nine children, so I know what I'm talking about." Wow. Dr. James Barry once had a child. 
Whoa. <sighs> wow. And there's so many possibilities. I mean, obviously, I want it to be a love child. Right. It's equally possible it could have been a rape when she was young. Yeah. It could have been so many things. Oh. And actually, the charwoman went to James Berry's personal physician and tried to blackmail the physician and said, I know the secret. I know James Berry is a woman. And the physician just said, what does it matter? I mean, I obviously knew something was different about him, but who cares? This is not my Mm. business. And she couldn't find anybody to blackmail. Everybody's just like, (laughs) whatever. And so she went to the press with it. And that's how it became widely public. Wow. So maybe, you know, his whole life, people were just like, James Berry, something different about him. And oh, well. Yeah. Almost nothing remains of his life to give us clues because he had everything shipped from overseas to London when he was on his Mm. deathbed. And that ship sank. Oh, everything lost. Oh, no. Absolutely everything. But one chest, the one chest that he brought with him when he went to London in the end was this like rickety old thing. Clearly, he'd been carrying it around with him his whole life. Mm. When his um, lawyer got it and opened it up, he discovered the whole interior of this chest was lined with fashion cuttings from magazines, pictures of dresses and shoes and... Oh, I know. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Oh. The army actually sealed her records. um, And for 100 years, they didn't want to have to deal with anybody coming and trying to figure out if this was true or it wasn't. But now, thank goodness that 100 years of the records being sealed is long past. And we can know the story of Dr. James Berry. Because you can trace most of her life story through her deeds in the army. Because if somebody keeps good records, that's the army. Mm-hmm. Every empire, they have good records. Mm-hmm. So you can actually find pepper trails for you know, all these records about all of the improvements that she made to public health, all of the improvements that she made to um, the well-being of you know, the patients um, that were under her care, the provisions that she made for the mentally ill, for slaves, even for um, the, the local populations or, or you know, the colony of lepers that she was establishing. Wherever she went, she improved all of this, you know? And yet, the one thing that everybody keeps coming back to was, well, if she was a woman, who was she, you know, before, you know, she took on all of these, you know, incredible information and these kind of meteoritic kind of like lifespan that um, that he had as James Miranda Barry, right? Michael Duprez, who's the author of this biography on James Barry that I really enjoyed. It's called Dr. James Barry, A Woman Ahead of Her Time. Mm. He sees in James Barry someone who lived a lie in order to live her ambition, mm. he says. But just what her ambition was, we'll never know. 
there are so many different possibilities and I think that um, it all depends on how you want to see her story. Yet, I have this sneaky feeling, you know, from my own interpretation of some of things that, you know, he said, that he just wanted to be a soldier. <laughs> and, you know, this was kind of like a side effect, <laughs> in a way, a really amazing side effect, okay, of um, his desire to be in the army. What we can see clearly in hindsight, maybe the only thing is that by following her ambition, whatever that was, she also did everything she could to lift up other downtrodden poor folks all mm. around the world and give them a chance. I would have loved to meet him. Yeah. I want to ask her so many questions, you know? <laughs> and I think that that, that that I would just like to tell her how much I admire her, you know? Because he takes a very special person to not just shed, you know, a lifetime of indoctrination of the limits placed upon women, you know, and the belief that women were intellectually inferior to men, to just say no, and to try to transform her entire life and dedicate herself, you know, to the pursuit of something that he truly believed in and everything that she sacrificed along the way. Incredible. It's extraordinary. Special thanks to Dr. Monica Walker at the Old Operating Theatre Museum and Herb Derrett. Next time you're in London, stop by and check it out. They also host many incredible concerts and events in the theatre space, which has amazing acoustics. If you plan to visit in the future, consider purchasing your ticket now to be redeemed whenever to help the museum through this pandemic closure. There is so much more to learn about James Berry's life. Visit whatshernamepodcast.com to find links, images, and book recommendations so you can dive deeper. Graphic designer Charlene Eldon has created an amazing map of James Berry's global career. Find it on our website, where you can also find links to the music featured in this episode, which was composed by Kevin McLeod, Doug Maxwell and Meteorite Productions, Aaron Kenny, and Cooper Cannell. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith, and the interview was recorded on site by Mark Nelson. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post all kinds of additional content each week. We're so grateful for all of our sponsors. You can become a patron for as little as a buck a month, and participating at different levels can get you things like trading cards, cross-stitch patterns, all kinds of good stuff. Thanks for donating. Thanks for listening.